the fifth generation leadership podcast with Grant and Rod. All right. So first thing we're going to do is interview Rodney Greenway, co-host of the fifth generation leadership podcast. Um, on the podcast, we're talking about uh, and two leaders about what's going on. Um, their leadership style, what's important to them, but also just about them as human beings, because as you'll find out, it's an important part of leadership. So without further ado, um, first of all, I mean, do you go by Rodney or Rod? I go by Rodney. Um, I haven't really been called Rod much. Oddly enough, that's how my wife refers to me to her mother, and they call me Rod in some side conversations. But uh, besides that, it's just, it's always been Rodney. All right, then with Grant and Rodney. Um, yeah, there we go. I, I don't so mind. I, I don't mind Rod. So it just, you know, if it sticks with you, go ahead and go ahead and use it. You know, so right on. Um, so what, what's your background? Where are you from initially? Uh, I'm originally from Michigan, uh, the Grand Rapids area, from a small town, Belding, Greenville area, um, within Kenton, Ionia County. Uh, I just tell everybody Grand Rapids because it's an easy reference point, but very close to Grand Rapids. Michigan. And uh, so, you know, we got to know each other because, you know, Army, Army stuff and vaccine mandate stuff. Um, but before you came into the Army, like what, uh, what was it like growing up? you play sports in high school, you do any other sort of leadership stuff before you got into the Army? Um, so I, ne I never got big into organized sports uh, as far as like uh, baseball, basketball, football. Um, I'm obviously a small guy. Uh, I'm obviously not going to play football. Uh, I'm a mathlete, not an athlete. So I never really got into to the, you know, other sports. I did get into like aggressive inline, like rollerblading, fruit booting, if you want to call it that. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, did, I did skateboard for a little bit. I raced BMX for about four, uh, four years. Yeah. Um, and then uh, th that's the type of sporting I'd like to do paintball. I got really big into that. And then uh, as far as any, you know, leadership stuff, um, I was actually just talking to my wife about this the other day. Um, it seems like because we were talking about my, my daughter had asked what a what an introvert was and that that launched a whole conversation. But it talked about how, you know, how I was kind of always the the natural leader of any clique that I happened to fall into. You know what I mean? Where I kind of, uh, uh, in a non-narcissistic way, became like the the people that, or uh, the person that people looked up to within the group, came to uh, with problems within the group. Um, and it's kind of been like that. And I've never had a specific group. I've you know, I bounced around with every group, you know, so I, I think uh, I've always been kind of looked up to in one aspect or another. Um, and that helped me as far as growing up, uh, didn't have the best childhood. So I had to grow up very quickly. Um, I think that also has influenced me in my leadership abilities because, you know, do, what do you attribute that to you being a natural leader? Do you attribute it to, you know, character or some other, you know, ineffable quality or um, um, what, what do you think it is if you had to pin it down to one thing and you don't have to, but. Uh, no, I, I would, I would say that it's a, it's a combination of things, but um, I think it has to be 
I think it's almost like a personality trait um, or something that's like ingrained in some people, just like maybe, uh, you know, a mental illness might, might be ingrained in somebody from, from birth. You know what I mean? Um, that That's the only thing I can really like compare it to, but something that's just in something there. Innate. It's, it's yeah. an innate ability that's just there. And some people have it and some people don't, but I think everybody is, able to do it um i think everybody is able to be a leader they just have to uh you know just like somebody that's you know in a certain mind state can make them think another way um or change their personality i i think people that don't have this innate leadership ability it's not like they can't learn um so i think yeah, it's, it's just like any other skill like some people are are more musical but like everybody can learn how to play guitar but right you know, i um, do think easier uh, for some people to pick up um skip that thought i i it already left me so that happens so a lot. i forget my thoughts quite a bit when you when you uh decided to come into the army were you thinking about it in terms of leadership or you just wanted to be a soldier uh no if if you want the real story of, of how I ended up joining the military, uh, it was actually more from a, uh, a troubled background, uh, if you will. Like I said, I was I had a rough childhood, kind of been on my own since about fourth grade, um, and then very independent even before like being on my own. And when I say on my own, I, I obviously had uh, people, it's not like I was homeless at fourth grade, but uh, my mom became occupied with her own life or whatever, and then I kind of just, you know, bounced around between uh, aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpa, uh, but it's kind of always just been me fending for myself. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, some of the places that I was at and positions that I put myself in, I happened to fall into, uh, you know, the wrong crowd. I just got them telling you I, I you know, got along with everybody. Uh, so eventually, you know, you fall into that clique that is not, you know, conducive to a good environment, a good clique, and, uh, you know, ultimately fell into some trouble that way, uh, ultimately ended up uh, going to jail, uh, get out of jail. My mom told me, you better join the army. So I, I kind of have a go to war, go to jail type situation without a judge giving me the the mandate if that makes sense so when i yeah. joined when i joined i i actually didn't know anything about the army i didn't know anything about the military whatsoever i didn't know that there were different jobs i didn't know rank structure i didn't know i i had no upbringing of looking towards uh military or learning military or anything Right. Um, and, and my sister was in the Coast Guard uh, when I joined and, and she told me, whatever you do, don't join the infantry. They're going to flash a large bonus in front of your face uh, to join infantry. But whatever you do, don't do it. I'm like, yeah, OK, sis, you know, I won't. And I'm sitting at the recruiter and he says, you know, what job do you want? He, he tells me that there's bonuses. I was like, well, which one has the highest bonus? He says infantry for $19,000. And that's about all it took. And I said, sign me up. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Uh, I didn't know anything. I literally, I have jail in my mind on one hand and escaping towards a, a better life 
in a new environment on the other hand and kind of rushed into a situation it it all ended up working out um in the end it, it was the right move to do looking back you know 13 years later it was the right thing to do who knows where i would be if i never would have done it so i show up to basic training man i didn't know anything <laughs> and uh but i i thrived in it honestly i uh you know it was a a PT stud. I had the third highest PT score um, in the platoon by the fifth PT test. Unfortunately, they gave the uh, some airborne and ranger slots to the people on the fourth PT test. But if I would have been able to get that, you know, I could have been on my the track I ended up on way sooner. You know, like right after basic. Um, but yeah, without ranting too much, that's that's how I ended up in the army uh without knowing anything nineteen thousand dollars thrown in my face i'm a dumb young 18 year old kid that is just looking for a way to get out of trouble so what year did you come in uh 2009 yeah that's uh yeah i came in and on the active duty in 10 but that's yeah it's crazy how fast they take you from you know being on the street to just being being in it uh taking care of business yeah um, so one one thing i want to one thing i want to add to that um uh from from all the the senior leaders right from all the people that that i witnessed uh progressing fast in the military uh being put in leadership positions um you know just excelling in the military on the enlisted side uh Oddly enough, they always had the same similar story to me. Um, you know, there's there's not many. Well, I won't say there's not many because there's obviously a lot of good kids that joined the army. But you know, if you look at uh, you know 2008 through you know 2012, or even you know 2001 through 2007, uh, you know the people that were joining the enlisted side i mean they they had a troubled background and the army didn't really care um now by the time yeah. i came by the time i came in the army cared and they were doing extensive background checks and whatnot but um you know i didn't have anything serious it was like misdemeanor type stuff i divulged everything and you know i got they ultimately blessed off i had to talk on the phone to some uh battalion commander of some recruiting station or something and he did his uh, like a little questionnaire i, I don't want to get too far off topic but what i'm saying is uh, a lot of the enlisted guys that i seen with this innate leadership ability also struggled through a lot of the same things i struggled with uh you know growing up and being in like an adolescent and a teen and you know, a, a young adult and ultimately making a lot of mistakes before they join the the army. But I don't know if, you know, I don't know if that plays into it. I don't know if, if, uh, if that type of mentality, that type of hustler mentality, uh, you know, help them, you know, if, if the situations that they've been put in, um, can help them, you know, guard themselves have their guard up be able to analyze people um you know and, and you know is there a different mentality right from birth that causes 
a lot of these enlisted innate leaders to get in trouble throughout like teenage and, and young adult years or whatever, like a, like almost like a little young rebellion, if you will. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too far off from it, but this is well, yeah, it's a whole, it's the whole nature, nature versus yeah. nurture thing. And nature you know, versus it's like, nature we, it's, it's going to be some combination of both. You yeah. Know? Um, but I, I do think it's interesting that you notice that a lot of the people that had, you know, a harder background um, came in with a, a, a better set of skills. And yeah. um, I mean, it makes sense to me because, you know, we, Army is a diverse organization, right? We got a lot, of, a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And I think if you've had a harder background, it's easier to relate to a wider range of people, you know? Yeah. Um, like that's that's the first thing that pops into my head, but um, it's it's so individual. Like it just depends. Like yeah. it probably just depends so much. Everybody's style is a little bit different. Um, the way that you get along with uh, each individual individual person that you interact with is different because of different values and stuff. But uh, um, one thing that uh, I'm curious about is if your experience was kind of the same as mine coming in and coming into basic. Um, and your your introduction to the organization and them driving the point home that hey like we're all on the same team, yeah right because I feel like a little bit of that is getting lost recently and we'll probably circle back to that like near the tail end of of this conversation and your story, but um, while we're on this part when you first came in, do you remember getting that sense from your drills or that being like a, a point of interest or something that uh, stood out to you or, or not? Uh, I'm going to ask you to rephrase the, like the main question one more time, just so I can make sure I understand what you're asking. Yeah. Just the, the idea that we're all, we're all green and we're all trash, you know, oh. you know, you come in, and Dude. it's like people have their differences and their little little clicks <laughs> and the idea of like um you know whether it's um race or socioeconomic background or whatever it is um i feel it, like it, they used to do a really good job of breaking that down like the drill sergeants did that it, that's it, that's what they were all about and i get the sense that they don't emphasize that as much or they're not as successful anymore but i mean that could just be my perception obviously i haven't been through basic combat training, you know, recently. It's just, it could be other factors. I'm just curious kind of what your experience was with that going through basic training. Um, so my experience with it is, yeah, uh, exactly what, what you're saying uh, was taking place. Um, and I don't think it's really, I, I haven't been to basic training. I haven't even stepped foot on, you know, Sand Hill. And for the viewers that don't know, Sand Hill is where infantry goes, which I was. And then, you know, Fort Jackson or Leonard Wood or whatever is where all the, the other non-combat MOSs go. Um, but when I arrived on Sand Hill, it was a lot different than how people arrive on Sand Hill today. Uh, I mean, when I got on the bus, uh, when I got on the bus, when the drill sergeant got on the bus, he told us, and he was a mean looking dude, he's freaking just mean looking, man, and he just you guys better pray to whatever freaking God it is that you pray to. You know, and you're just like, oh my God, man, what did I just get myself into, right? But the, the beauty of how it used to be done 
is everybody was re everybody was reverted to freaking scum to dust to dirt everybody was just nothing together you know what i'm saying like you don't your parents might have been freaking rich on the outside but guess what you're in my world now you know what i mean and uh but it was done in a way that like you said it doesn't matter if you're black white hispanic uh you know christian jewish islamic uh you guys are all green because we all wear the green uniform and you guys all ble uh all bleed red and you're a soldier 24 7 in uniform and out of uniform and you were from the moment that you raised your right hand and you took your oath um, and that was really ingrained into you and the reason why it works is because they they made you feel like nothing first uh but everybody was nothing together and everybody was sucking in the experience together and everybody was a, a part of the shit show and the 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 difficulties together and then when you guys all started progressing you guys are all progressing together you're growing together you're building up as soldiers together by the time you leave basic training you should feel like like that's your platoon you know what i mean and i highly doubt that that is the case anymore i mean aside from the fact that basic training is 22 weeks long they probably feel like it's <laughs> they probably feel like it's their platoon simply from the length of time that they've been there but i'm talking about from a bond right i'm talking about a your drill sergeant is somebody that you're going to remember for the rest of your life because of the the torment molding and upbringing before you even set foot at your your first unit um and I, they're not allowed to do that anymore. And I do think it's important to, um, I mean, obviously it sounds mean to, to make everybody into scum or to dust or to dirt or to maggots or nothingness. Uh, it sounds mean, but it's important because you're, you're making people brain dump any preconceived notion that they're better than you or they're superior and that's especially important in the military because you need to have that disciplinary structure um but at the same time that same structure has been abused um over time so that's yeah, I, don't know, well, I don't know if i answered your question but no no absolutely absolutely so you know it sounds like your training experience was solid you know you came out you know 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 what you're doing you know ready to go trained you know you show up to your first unit um you know you're motivated pick up from there how you know like how how did you know your first assignment go yeah so uh my my first assignment i was assigned to fort riley uh fort riley kansas i was in fourth brigade uh first battalion 28th infantry regiment or 128 black lions if anybody wants to look them up uh they're now a task force uh stationed at fort benning um task force 128 uh 
if they're even still there. It's a it's a very small unit compared to what it was at one point in time. At one point in time, it was a whole you know battalion, um, and then Fourth Brigade disbanded, and you know I left. I went to Washington, but speaking on my first arrival to to Fort Riley. Um, I arrived and I found out that I was deploying in 21 days. I'm like, dude, I don't even know anything yet. I'm like, I don't know shit. And you're sending me to Iraq. You know what I mean? And I, I hadn't even known yet that people that go on deployments, go to NTC, JRTC, go through CLS or combat lifesaver, go through first aid, go through, you know, shoot, move, communicate beyond just what you were taught at basic and in my mind i'm like that's all i'm going to be yes. doing in iraq is packaging wounds and shoot move communicate because now in my mind after going through basic training i now know what infantry is my sister told me what infantry was i ignored her i took nineteen thousand dollars i joined basic training turns me into nothing built me up taught me what infantry was realized that i'm going to go fight some war that I don't even know why, but we'll figure all that out later, I guess. But for now, just everybody go fight, right? And here I am. I don't know shit. And uh, my wife, she's still in Michigan. I had actually gotten married uh, the, the same week that I graduated. Um, and then the plan for me is to go forward to the unit, uh, find a place to rent, um, get us a house, get us moved in, get us established, and then she's going to come up and uh take the reins from there and then we find out oh i'm deploying in 21 days so she still decides to to come forward which i'm thankful for uh because she built us a home while we were gone um she had got herself a job like that type of stuff uh, but i'm leaving in 21 days got the house she's coming here i'm going to iraq my my first team leader is just a, just a piece of shit, man like trying to do a layout at my house at like 11 o'clock at night and just this is my first impression of a leader you know um just this religious bible something and nothing against religious i mean god is my guy but this guy was you know something else uh and just just a horrible leader like unorganized um it, yeah it was just a very bad impression of what a first leader is but then as like when i get to the unit um well obviously i had already been to the unit introduced my team leader but i wanted to introduce the team leader first uh my i show up my first day at my first day at my company my platoon sergeant says uh give them a team or go give them a pt test oh sorry correction i showed up to the showed up the morning of uh got treated like just dirt from from team leaders, like like the, I'm, I mean, I won't say treated like dirt. I, I don't want to say it like that, but you're definitely going through a, uh, and I don't want to give it that word either, but you know what I'm about to say, you're going through a hazing period where you're the new guy, right? But I don't want to call it hazing. That's the wrong word to use. Some units got in trouble for it and blew it out of proportion. It was nothing, nothing like that. Just you're getting scuffed up for every little thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, during in-ranks inspection, when we were checking your 
ID card, ID tags, pen, pencil, and note bag or uh, notepad and little unit blue book. You were forgotten. You forgot your pencil, bro. Get down, start pushing. <laughs> you know, for every every little thing. So I had already been getting scuffed up like all morning. I'm the new guy. They're coming up with many re many things to just get me scuffed up, right? They tell me to go in the supply cage and ask for a, a box of grid squares, right? Grid squares are something on a map in case anybody doesn't know, right? There's no box of grid squares. <laughs> uh, they, they told me to go up. Dude, I got, I got, dude, they, they get everybody with that. I got, uh, I got told to find the soft spots and armor on a paladin one time yeah, with yeah, a hammer. Yeah. Like, hey, go around and find the soft, like everybody, they, yeah, that's uh, just. They told me to go up to one of these staff sergeants and ask for a, a pricky fix, a pricky fix, but you're going up to the sergeant and be like, yeah, uh, so-and-so told me uh, that you could help me find a prick E6, you know, a prick huh. E6 yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, I've seen in mechanized units where they make people hold a, a bag to capture the exhaust coming out of the Humvee for, for the fumes to get tested. They just do dumb yeah. shit to get you messed yeah. up, right? Um, but either way, everybody's having a good time except for me. Uh, <laughs> and my my team or my platoon sergeant says, go give them a, a PP test. And I had already been getting smoked all day. And I go and score a 300 on my first PT test at my unit. I ran a 12-11 on the track. And my platoon sergeant was like, uh, my, platoon, my platoon sergeant was like, none of y'all better stuff Greenway up because he gets a better PT score than all y'all, you know? So right off the bat, dude, I'm feeling good. You know, like I'm feeling yeah. like, yeah, you know, um, we end up going to Iraq. I still have the same shitty team leaders. There was a, there was a, there was a bad few team leaders, a, a bad bunch of team leaders. And when I ended up going to Iraq, they ended up doing a, a team leader academy type thing while we were on the fob. And it was a series of, you know, physical events, uh, administrative type questions, like one-on-one -on -one discussions, and then like board type questions, like you would get when you go to a promotion board. Uh, and then they had like mystery boxes where all the weapons are torn apart and laid on a poncho, and you have to uh, take all the or yeah, take all the pieces out of the box and find what parts go to what weapon and put it all together, and it's all under time. And and I was a freaking I don't know if I was a PV2 or a PFC, but it, it had to have been had to have been PFC or just about PFC. And uh, dude, from the from the time I got to my unit, I was already studying winning the board books. You know what I mean? Uh, the the books to help you pass the promotion board. I was already telling uh, my my team leader, my squad leader, hey, I want to go to Soldier of the Month. I want to go to Audie Murphy. I want to go to this. I want to go to that. Uh, half of it, I didn't even know what the hell it was. I just knew that the army wanted me to do it. You know what I mean? So I was yeah. putting myself out there. Um, and that's what you really got to do in, in any situation. You really have to put yourself out there. And a lot of times you're not going to have any idea what is going on. And it's going to be up to you to, to figure it out and play along and, and exceed. Um, and succeed. Succeed and exceed. Um, but dude, I ended up dominating on this team leader competition. And 
they end up pulling me aside at the end and they're like greenway like we want you to know that that you did better than mostly all of the other team leaders but we can't like we can't make you a team leader it, it'd be really messed up to put a pfc over uh a, put a brand brand new pfc that really doesn't know shit yet i've just yeah. read some books and studied and paid attention you know it'd be really messed up to put that brand new pfc over some e4s and e4s and e5s some specialists and some sergeants yeah. but we're we're looking at you man like we we acknowledge you yeah, so was, probably helped you get to get to E4 faster, and then yeah, you know, well, I mean, so tell me, what, I mean, what happened? They get you to E4, they get you, you know, some corporal stripes. Like, what, what, uh, what was the fallout? Yeah, so, so, uh, so my squad leader at the time, he he was the the best leader that I've had in the army this far. He was actually the the same one that I was telling you about, the one that's about to go to the Sergeant Major Academy, and uh, right. you know, he was he was my first impression of a squad leader. He's, he's a square, uh, he's very hua, he loves the army, he's very physically fit. Whenever, like, whenever there was something, whenever there was something to be done, it was always a challenge to motivate his guys, right? Like, you better not be the last one, you know, or don't let me beat you, you know? And it was always just that edge to, to just be pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. And uh, we, we had a team leader, I mean, he was fat. I'm sorry for if you all want to call it fat shaming. He was fat. He was from the Navy. He was technically, he beat, uh, he busted height and weight every single time, but he was just there and he was an NCO. This dude fell out of every single run, man. Every single run that we would go on, we'd be like two and a half miles out on a five mile run. Here, this, this prior Navy Sergeant fatty would fall out and then this squad leader would be like, would uh, would be like Greenway and Howell and a couple other guys that were in the team. He's like, "Come get your team leader." So here we are, dude. Just all running, running with our freaking team leader carrying them. And and obviously you have to think of what that does to the psychology of the team leader. You know what I mean? It's demoralizing. The team leaders happen to be carried by his soldiers, and then the soldiers are seeing that that they're carrying the team leader. You know, I, you know what I mean? Like the soldiers carry the team and without, without a definitive team leader in that place, you know, the soldiers are carrying themselves. And who are they, where are they gonna go from there if they don't have a, a leader setting the right example and leading and pushing them forward? And that's what I really liked about, about the guy. But uh, I would ask him every, every time, like, hey, my, cause you, so you get specialists at 24 months uh, but you can become wavered at 18 months. And I'd be, I'd always be like, Hey, Sergeant, you're going to put in a waiver for me. You know, Hey, Sergeant, you're going to put in a waiver. Maybe if I wouldn't have asked so much, he probably would have, uh, he did end up, but I didn't get it at my 18 month mark. Uh, now leaving the army as a, a Sergeant first class, I, I know how those waivers go and there's only so many available and knowing the leader that he is i'm assuming he did put my name in every time i just didn't get it until that that third month that 21st month or whatever um so i got the waiver to specialist at 18 months and then you only need four months time and grade uh and 
and two years time in service to become uh, a sergeant. Well, I'm already freaking studied up, man. I've already been telling them I want to go to Soldier of the Month, freaking NCO, like, or, yeah, all, all that type of stuff. So um, as soon as I hit my four month mark of time and grade, I, I'm at 25 months time in service. So one month above the 24 months and uh, get sent to the board and I passed the board and uh, I was court, I got pinned corporal for about two weeks while I was waiting for promotion point or waiting for the, the promotion point list to come out. And then I made points on the very first list and became a sergeant. So I made E5 at 25 months. So, oh, nice. That's yeah, fast. It, it was it was nice. Uh, made a lot of people upset. Um, kind of find out who your friends are a little bit when, uh, um, you know, you excel above them, I guess, a little bit. Um, there's going to be some haters and there's going to be, you know, people that are appreciating everything that you're doing. So. You can't please everybody. That's yeah, I, yeah, that's Sorry. I really had to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I was well, so what um once you were in that leadership role, um what did you notice that was different? Like when you first took over? Because what I've seen for people from people that aren't like prepared for it, like that aren't a natural leader, is they they just try and like emulate what they had seen previously yeah and if that was not good leadership then they exhibit bad leadership but you you kind of seem like you were put in a position where it was uh it's more clear to you that that you uh like your team leaders like you, you kind of could tell that they weren't great yeah right yeah, so, it, it had the opposite effect on me. I seen these. So you're like, I don't want to be like those guys. Right. And so like, so tell me, tell me about how it went when you were first started leading soldiers. Um. So the, you have to realize that when you first become a team leader or a sergeant, uh, you're getting promoted, and, and even staff sergeant. But it's really not a big deal once you first staff sergeant because you've probably already PCS at least once. Uh, but when you make that transition from from E4 to E5, and now you're a leader over the same people that you were friends with, um, you know, and it's yeah, okay. I mean, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed right. to move them to a different unit, but it's like not feasible necessarily when you're downrange. So I mean, there's there's always going to be animosity for. Uh, there's always going to be envy for somebody new that comes in but seems to progress faster than somebody else somebody that wanted a position but was but it was taken from them somebody that thinks that they're in some way superior to you because they had been in longer um somebody that feels like they don't have to listen to you because they're your friend um somebody mm, that thinks yeah. that it, somebody that thinks it doesn't that the situation doesn't apply to them because you guys are boys so me and this, me and this uh, squad leader that I was just talking about, not the fat team leader that had to get carried, but the squad leader that made us carry him, me and him had a very close relationship as freaking PFC specialist Greenway, you know, and, but the thing was, I, at work, it was even still to this day, I call him Sergeant so-and-so. It's just, I always did outside of duty hours. 
I always did. During duty hours, I always recognized that place that he is a mentor, a leader, a, a, a standard setter, you know, not a, a friend. He is a friend. And now, especially. No, I think you, I think you picked the perfect word, mentor. Yeah. yeah as a mentor, you know, so, like, you, you know, you, you get to pick your mentors and it's a, a bi-directional relationship, right? And like, if it's reciprocated, it's, it's a great thing, but all leaders need mentors, right? Yeah. Because you, you need to have that good example. Everyone recognizes in some level, not everybody's the same. So you can't just look at, you know, who you landed at first necessarily, or who's right in front of you, but right. um, you, you find somebody who's like, you consider to be a good leader and, yeah. you know, that gets communicated somehow. Right. And, you know, you have that mutual respect and, and they are willing to take the time to develop you. And yeah, friendship's a part of it, but there's, um, yeah, there's, all, there's always a, a like a bond. respect there where it's like, hey, you know, I appreciate what you're doing for a, me a by, bond. by taking me under your wing. A very, like a, a bond that forms, yeah. you know, you can yeah. call it a friendship, mentorship, whatever. But I, I knew to never cross that line when I was at work or even when we were hanging out outside of work. So he was never not my squad leader, but some people, yeah. when they see their friends get promoted or something, they can't like comprehend. Yeah, it. they make the wrong assumption, you know, yeah. that, that it has to do with favoritism and stuff. I mean, right. I'm, I'm sure sometimes it does, but. So I, I mean, maybe there's maybe somebody, I don't think anybody ever questioned uh, favoritism. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, I I don't think so. I think it was more along the lines of like people upset that I made it before them because it, it's not like people couldn't see the standard that I was setting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I put yeah. the standard out there for everybody to see how I perform, how I behave, how I act, how I interact, how I, how I plan, how I achieve. And I put it out there for everybody to see and that's why I say, I don't think anybody ever questioned favoritism, like in the sense of like, oh, Sergeant so-and-so just got him hooked up on his, his yeah. name. And, um, and, let's, and, let's, and let's be real a little bit, right? This is the yeah. army. Just the fact that you were running a 12 minute two mile, like that's, that's probably enough to convince, <laughs> to convince most people. It's like, okay, this soldier squared away. Like, I, you know, I don't know if your experience has been different, yeah. But in my experience, like just being able to run fast yeah. is uh, like you could be retarded and, and so, just being able to run fast can overcome a lot of that. Um, it, it goes, it goes way, a way longer way than it probably should. Right. Um, in, in determining like legitimacy and like who's, who's squared away. Right. And, and who's not. I mean, you, in, in a, in a unit environment, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if you go to the team level, the squad level, the platoon level, the company level, the battalion level, the brigade level. If you go and you observe that environment, you are gonna see who is putting in work and who is not. You know what I'm saying? Like it's who's the who's the one you. I mean who's who's running the show and who's not you know what i'm saying like it's it's obvious it's obvious you can go into a 
a place of business, right? And if they're running their business, right, you should go in there and be able to recognize who's running the show or who's not. The, the same thing applies, right? You have, you have people that, that join a job that want to do the, the bare minimum uh, and kind of just scrape by and, and, you know, take what they got. And then you have people that want to, uh, you have people that have like desire you know what I mean? You have people that have a, have pride. It, that's a, a big one, man. Like the pride to to not fail or to let people or to not let people see you fail. And don't get me wrong, like I am not afraid to fail and I'm not afraid to let people see me fail because it's a humbling experience. But uh you know, just that that driveness, you know, that uh, just that go-getter mentality, you know, and I, I really think that you can see it, and I think other people can see it too, and I think it makes the people that are lazy but don't necessarily want to be lazy but don't have the motivation to stop being lazy and to get after it, those are the type of people that maybe get a little bit envious of what they're seeing happen in front of them because they should be in that position but instead of recognizing that they put them that they should be like angry at themselves for not getting after yeah, it. Yeah. Instead of just taking responsibility. It's, for real. it's a lot accountability, to, accountability yeah. and responsibility for your actions, dude. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody takes accountability and responsibility for their actions and everybody wants to blame somebody else. Point blank period. Um I I was going somewhere with that. I can't I can't remember. Oh, that that's right. You wanted to know uh, you know what happened once I got in those positions. So I've seen all the bad leaders of how not to be. And even uh, in the army, there's the E4 mafia. You don't even have, it, it doesn't even have to be in your chain of command. They don't even have to be directly over you. You see whatever environment you go to, you look at the leaders, you, you assess and you identify the people that are calling the shots. They might be people with go-getter attitudes, but they might also be freaking bad people. You know what I mean? So the people that make it up into these leadership positions, you're also assessing the, the type of character, the type of moral, the type of leader that they are, and then rolling with that. Because I'm not saying that, uh, you know, bad leaders uh, make their way up into high positions. And I don't just mean... Uh, bad leaders in the sense of like, of like, they're just shitty leaders, but I mean, in the sense of like, bad leaders in the sense of bad morals, bad mentality, bad character. I mean, all throughout history, there has been bad leaders, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a two-folded meaning, right? So just because it's somebody... a lot, I think, I think they're kind of related though. So I, I think that with what you I said mean... about go-getter attitude, because a, a big, a really common example of a bad leader, right, is um, you're, or some, to me, character comes down to hypocrisy. Like if you're a hypocrite, like that's that's kind of like the biggest indictment of character, in my opinion, right? Yeah, I can get so that. Like, what's a common example of hypocrisy in junior leadership or really any leadership? But like you guys got a lot of work that you got to do. And so that go-getter attitude, if you have that and you're doing stuff, great but if you don't have that like you're still going to be expecting your guys 
right. to do that. And that's like, every, people can see that hypocrisy from a mile away and it just screams of bad leadership. Yeah. So I just, I just wanted to comment on that because it's related to having that mentality. And, and it's like you said, people can see that. But if you're a leader and you don't have that mentality, then it's, it's difficult not to be hypocritical Right. Uh, unless you don't expect anything of your guys, I guess, but like that's just it's not it's not super common. It's hard to explain it the the way that I'm trying to say it because you could categorize both the the good leader and the bad leader, and I mean like morals. Uh, when I say this, you could categorize them, uh, you know, the same way. Just because somebody is very charismatic and intelligent uh, and is able to talk good and get people to believe in what they're saying, it does not necessarily mean that they're a good leader. You know, they could definitely be on the wrong side, you know, uh, all throughout his, and, and it doesn't even have to be like purely sinister either, but it could just be, you know, just, yeah, the bad example, the wrong example, using your guys to do X, Y, and Z, but you're never willing to put forth the effort to do A, B, C, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's all the same thing, but um, so when I ended up into these positions, you know, I, I made sergeant at 25 months. I made, uh, I made staff sergeant at, uh, 48 months. I think, I think 48 months. Um, I made sergeant first class on my first look at, you know, my first look was at my seven year mark, but I had to wait until like eight and a half years to actually pin it on. Um, but that's, I mean, that's fast tracking for, for all of them, um, you know, typically you're looking at double that amount of time for each of the ranks that I had. Um, so in, in one way, people in the army does this also when they're, uh, when they're looking at board packets for centralized boards to decide who's gonna be uh, promoted or not. I mean, they're paying attention to uh, um, your time and service and your time in rank, your time in grade, and your time in service. And some of them might be of the old school mentality of if, if you have minimal time in service and time in grade, then other people have seniority over you because they're obviously better with, with time and age comes wisdom. There's no way that these, these, uh, fast trackers could be as knowledgeable as these old school guys, right? Uh, a lot of people, um, so for example, I have a Ranger tab. Um, and my Ranger tab, I guarantee helps me make E7. And there's a lot of, a, a lot of mentality in the army that, well, he only made E7 because he has a Ranger tab. Okay, where's yours? You know? Um, so did it put me in a different in a in a position to excel yes it did but did everybody have that opportunity yes they did right so so when you're stuck yeah, and there's up, also e7s that made e7 throughout that same time frame and like seven years like crazy time that don't have tabs right so right. you know um, i mean it's it's a part of it's all it's all cumulative but right. i mean like so, tabs you so, know makes well, makes a big difference right it, it does it really does so what i'm getting at is there's some mentality that says if you haven't been in long or if you haven't held a certain rank for a certain amount of time, 
then you can't be ready for the next position, right? And and I mean, really, nobody is ready for the next position. Um, there's stuff that is in the next position that they just didn't know about yet, and they haven't had to to do in their previous position, right? And that yeah, it's it's all supposed to be based on potential, right? It's supposed that's, to be based on potential. That's where it all comes down to somebody. Uh, succeeding or failing you know were you able to take that new introduction of material and, and work with it and the thing is since i was thrown into uh ranks fast i don't want to say thrown into since i earned ranks fast and since i earned positions fast i was put into positions a lot quicker than i should have been so therefore uh it's it's almost like you're playing catch up you know, you're playing yeah. catch up to people that have been in uh, longer or been doing the job longer. And I tell you what, man, every time I was playing catch up, it just made me thrive even more. You know, let me get. Yeah, because you learn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, similar deal to where, where the conversation started out, where it's like you had some more adversity growing up. So it's like maybe that made you grow up faster and made you, uh, you know, develop these positive attributes and, and capability. You know, it's, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really easy to get comfortable, um, and, and not progress, but discomfort is a, is a great motivator to, yeah. to push you to, uh, grow and develop. Um, so, you know, you mentioned going through the, the ranks quick, but one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, you had a shift, right. Where it's like, you, you were all about the army, like kind of a, a big believer in, in everything um, working and making sense. And it's like, yeah, you had some leaders that were good, some leaders that were bad, but um, everything kind of made sense. And like, you didn't have any issues with the organization. Um, what changed with that, if anything? And like, I'm just curious about that if you wanted to talk on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so first and foremost, uh, the way that I am right now, uh, very vocal, opinionated, non-filtered, and just out there, that's how I've always been, right? And like some of my, some of my leaders would be like, shut up, Greenway, you know? Um, but I've always been the guy to call out bullshit. So I don't want to make it seem like, you know, the first three years, I was just a, a brainwashed, you know, PT stud or whatever, but but it's um, I, yeah. On that note, it's like about the balance, though, right? So it's like um, there's always going to be bullshit, and no matter what you do in life, yeah. there's going to be bullshit. Nothing's a hundred percent like everything's squared away and perfect. Yeah. Um, but it's like, is it is is the majority of what we're doing bullshit? Yeah. Or is it just like some stuff that we got to deal with? Like to yeah, me, yeah. that that was my shift, which I can talk about later. But um, I'm yeah, I'm curious. Like I don't know if that resonates, but yeah, but yeah no, I'm I'm with you. Like I I definitely I can tell that about you. Yeah. And I think that I think that that's probably the most important thing for the organization right now that we need. Like any big bureaucracy. It's critical if you if you don't have people like, that are willing to call out the bullshit yeah. then it's gonna accumulate to a point where everything is gonna be bullshit which is right. like my overall concern 
and and the fact that I you know reason I wanted to start up this podcast with you but yeah um yeah sorry I didn't mean to interrupt no but, no you're um, good you're good man uh um so yeah so the first three years man uh I loved the army I I hated my team leaders and the majority of other team leaders because they just in my opinion, I was on a different intellectual level than them. Uh, I know that might sound freaking mean to say or whatever, but dude, it was just like, what the? Ah. <laughs> so here I am just a frustrated E3, E4, brand new in the army, and I'm seeing all this stupid stuff happen in front of me, and I can't do anything about it because I'm just the E3 or E4. But that was the extent of my frustration, right? Uh, and I would bitch and moan and complain about stupid stuff but that was the extent of it i loved my unit the army was the best decision i had ever made i was in the best shape of my life dude i so um my my first platoon fort riley had a mandate where you had to do platoon pt you couldn't do pt on your own you couldn't do pt as a as a team or a squad it was platoon pt and my battalion commander used to come pull me out of platoon PT to come work out with him because he said he wanted the competition. You know what I mean? That like that's a good feeling, you know. And I I won yeah. I won I was in the Fort Riley newspaper for a weightlifting competition. I think I I, I weighed in at 114 pounds and ended up deadlifting 335. Oh man, that's <laughs> almost man. triple body weight. I know, I almost. Know, right? It, uh, so that was a pretty big deal. We won the we won the award for it. So we were all in the. I, I think uh, we actually. I think I have a picture of it on my Facebook page too. So I ended up in the newspaper because of that. And then we, the fourth brigade had this. Uh, fourth brigade had this thing called the Iron Dragon Fitness Competition, and uh, and I beat that. And then uh, so I won like the little trophy for that. And then we had a like another little PT competition at the battalion level, where hold on, okay. Uh, we had another competition at the battalion level that everybody had tried out for before and didn't make it. And I went on the first try and I got it. So, uh, and that was if you if you get three three hundreds in a row, like once a month they held a PT test. And if you get three three hundreds in a row, then you no longer have to do PT uh, as a platoon. You can do it, you know, as a individual or whatnot. So you know, and it was a new structure. Um, I finally had structure. Uh, I never really had that before. Um, I never really had a, a mentor before, um, and I I did now. I never really had like a, a closeness with, you know, other people like I did at the time. And, uh, and I just, I really liked the army, man. I went to Iraq, I came back, uh, you know, my platoon was awesome. And people are always gonna say that their first unit was their best unit. Um, their first chain of command was their best chain of command. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a bias. I personally feel that way. Um, all the people that I first came into contact with when I joined the army versus when everybody started leaving, uh, which was in between my Iraq deployment and Afghanistan deployment, everybody started leaving and new leadership started coming in. And, and the quality, man, the quality of the leaders, um, just pretty different. And then, uh, but nothing, 
you know, nothing too crazy. It was just like, damn, now instead of like shitty team leaders, now we also have shitty team leaders and spa leaders and platoon sergeant. Um, but I ended up getting blown up in Afghanistan uh, by friendly fire. And I came back. I got medevac from Afghanistan. I had to go through speech therapy uh, to learn how to talk all over again. I was supposedly going to get med boarded and I start crying. I'm like, the army is my life. You know, I love the army. I had just re-enlisted, uh, you know, um, and here I am, got off from the, the plane after getting evac from Bob Tillman to Sharana to, or from Bob Tillman to Organy to Sharana to uh, one stool Germany to Fort Bamsey or whatever down in uh, San Antonio, back to Fort Riley. Here I am. I get off the plane. The freaking van isn't even there to pick us up. This is like the quality of leaders that have trickled in somehow during this time. Okay. I want to I wanna highlight this to everybody. Okay. You have a, a good, really good set of leaders from 2009 to 2012, uh, or like 2011, 2012, or whatever. Boom. New leaders come in. Uh, I deploy for five months, get blown up, get evac, and the leaders that I have back in the rear as well aren't even squared away enough to pick up patients that just got evac from Afghanistan. I think that's a pretty big deal. Um, you would think that that's something that would be ready. Yeah, and then, it's probably like, yeah, the number one priority you right. know, of ready reserve or, you know, rear detachment is probably what was called back then. Um, right. And then the, the first thing I told, I get told when I get in the van is, hey, you're, you're going to get, you're getting med boarded. And that's the story where I was upset. I was like, you know, I, so yeah, I why, I, like, who, dude, was I don't it, like, who know. picked you up in the van? Was it a freaking medical provider? Like, what are they? Why are they even having that conversation I, with you? Dude, I have no idea, but I go from the, from the tarmac to the, or from the airstrip or whatever to the hospital and ultimately get released through the hospital to uh, the commander of rear D. And he was a really cool guy. I still have him on my LinkedIn and whatnot. Um, I start explaining to him, you know, my frustration, my sadness. He's like, dude, you're not, you're not going to get med boarded. Like we're going to get this figured out. Um, so I was assigned to a warrior transition battalion when I first got back. Uh, and then I was going through speech therapy at a TBI clinic, uh, to figure out how to talk again and try to get myself redeemed to be fit for duty. And ultimately I did in hindsight, looking back, I should have taken the med board and freaking ran, but, uh, um, but the, all of that is a, a side rant. The, the thing about the, the thing about the friendly fighter is it, it ended up becoming like a cover up. Uh, it ended up becoming a very big deal in my life. And I have all these leaders that are now making me the black sheep because I had gotten evac from a friendly fire accident that they're trying to act like never happened. And it, it dude, it, it was, it was a mind blowing experience, dude. Um, 
And I, I, because it's, it's, you know, it's bad enough that it happened, but like mistakes happen, right? You know, like mistakes happen, but to gaslight you and, in, in like afterwards and just not, not take accountability. Yeah. I mean, what it, what it reminds me of is, um, like, do you see Stu Scheller, like, do his thing after, uh, like, the Afghanistan withdrawal and those 13 um, Marines uh -uh. Uh, killed? So he's a, he was a battalion commander in the Marine Corps. And, like, uh, I think in their, uh, like, their equivalent to Sand Hill. I think he was, like, uh, in, uh, battalion commander in that environment. Okay. And he released this video afterwards and he was in uniform and he was like, hey, you know, could we, could you guys just like uh, take some accountability? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did see you that. Know? I did see that. Yeah. You know, because that, I mean, yeah, mistakes were made, but it's almost, it's a bigger deal almost that you can't just be like, hey, look, like we made a mistake. Dude. Like, the lack I, of I don't know you tell me you tell me would that not have taken the edge off a little bit yeah, it's like dude. you already yeah. had to deal with all this stuff like you had to do the rehab anyway but um just on top of that I just uh, I don't know it seems to me like that would be almost the worst part dude, is that I people still, couldn't come together I still don't have closure to this day dude I, I don't have answers about what happened I don't have accountability I don't have nothing dude i have brain damage and trauma you know uh that's the extent of what i brought away from that experience and uh it, it the problem is it it really opened my eyes to the fact that i was just a number and it didn't matter what i did uh in the army like we are expendable uh and easily replaceable and we are just a freaking last four of a social security number you know and so that's where my frustrations started beginning with the army i was like damn i'm like legitimately part of a freaking department of defense cover-up somebody called my wife in the in the middle of the night and told them that i we don't remember if she said uh we don't remember if they said that i was dead or that i had died or been in a serious accident or something like that but it had just happened. Like there's so much stuff that doesn't make sense. So I, it's a whole other video, man. Um, but I'm like, that's not even how you notify casualties anyway. You know what I mean? No, yeah, it's not. It's, so, yeah. so when I, when they ended up opening, what happens is when there's like some sort of injury or fatality overseas is they lock up the computer labs, the phone labs, uh, and everything, so nobody can put anything yeah, on the Yeah, the CNO is, yeah, supposed to be the only one that, you yeah, know, puts the and notification they, on. They don't want anybody talking about it, like nothing. So when I got blown up, they locked everything up. Uh, I came back down. Um, my brain was a mess and just mush mouth. Uh, but they let us into the, the computer labs to call our families. And I call my wife, like, what is going on? Like, somebody literally just called me. And dude, it was wild. The whole thing was wild, right? So that's where my frustrations really started beginning. And then as I went, and I don't know if it's because maybe I was tainted, maybe my my mentality was tainted, but I seen this, I seen this new 
quality of leaders. Uh, this new, maybe I just seen a new aspect of leadership, but I just seen everybody failing at it, man. I've seen everybody just all around me, dude. And not only just my leaders, but everybody else's leaders, the disorganization, the, the equivalent of not being there to pick somebody up on the airstrip, something else was happening that somebody should have been taken care of. And it's like, dude, everything was falling apart. Everything was becoming politically correct. Everything was going to digital online training about ethics and sexual harassment and sexual assault and yeah, I mean that's that's really painful, right? When they're when they're talking about ethics, it's like it would be so much better if you didn't. Um, yeah. When when stuff like that's going on, because well, it's like just the hypocrisy is just it's yeah. so painful. And I don't what, what you said about. Um, maybe you just saw it in a different light. I mean, I, I do think that that, that might be possible that that could have been a little part of it. Cause something that, you know, cause I, I try not to be cynical. I try just to be realistic, but, um, you know, I remember getting told a lot early on in my career, like when you'd finish up a job, you know, they'd always be like, Hey, look, man, you need anything. You just reach out to me. I was like, yeah, wow, they this, is always really, do. this is and really they cool. And they never yeah, it's like this is really cool. And then yeah, and then and then they don't. And then what I've come to kind of realize is um people will only go to bat for you and take care of you up to a point. And yeah. there's a point where it's like not politically expedient. Mm -hmm. And then people like that's what I think separates like the kind of leaders that I want to follow and be around. Yeah. versus the kind that I don't want to be like and I don't want to be under is, you know, yeah, it's just that willingness to, um, like, if you have, like, if you think I'm a dirtbag, fine. But it's like, if you if you have a high opinion of me, we got a good relationship, you think I'm a good soldier, um, and something, something goes sideways or, like, but they, I, I think you know what I'm, I'm trying to say. Yeah. But like on, like when you're looking for that, when you're like looking for, it's like, like oh, are they screwing up? And it's like, well, why aren't they doing what they said? Is it because, oh, because it would make them maybe look a little bit bad. Yeah. Or like, like it would look like to the battalion sergeant major, like it wouldn't reflect well upon them. You go into the bat for this person, like just like little stuff where it's like. Why are you worried about that? Like, yeah. you're really going to let something small like. Uh oh. All right. Oh, a soldier. It's relevant for a second. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, that's, that's some, I don't know. Like, that, that, that's when, when you say maybe like it, but it, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think it's part of it, but I do think there was a, some sort of definitive switch that got flipped in 2012 or 2013. Maybe it was December 23rd, 2012, the end of the world, man. I don't know, but something happened in 2012, 2013 to where the army freaking changed drastically. Uh, and it like happened, boom, overnight. And then it's only progressively been getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and worse um, ever since. And, you know, is it the, is it the quality of, is it the quality of civilians that are trickling in and making it into officer positions or 
Is it the quality of soldiers that are, you know, making their way up the ranks? Is it, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully we'll talk to talk to some of them going forward and, yeah. and try and um, try but, and get answers on that. But that's like what. So let's let's try and uh, drive forward because you rehabbed all the way. Right. Yeah. Like you yeah. completely recovered. Did you go to Ranger School after that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty damn impressive. So so what happened was um, during Rear D, I recovered um, took about four months, something like that, but I recovered, uh, was talking good, um, was starting to study for the board because my, my leadership on rear D was actually pretty good. You know, they, they were a good group of guys, um, but they ended up sending me to the E6 board while I was on rear D, while I was the black sheep of the, the people that just blew me up. So that probably didn't make them happy that I'm about to become a staff sergeant on, on rear D or whatever. But I go to the board, I crush the board. Um, they ended up asking me, every single question they asked me, I knew. Uh, and they ended up, they were like, all right, one final question. What are the dimensions of the U.S. Army nameplate for the Class A uniform? And I gave them the dimensions. And they're like, dude, no fucking further questions, man. Like, I don't have anything else to ask you. So it was a really good it was a really good board. I, was, I felt really good. I had already gotten Audie Murphy while I was, uh, I had already passed the Audie Murphy board while I was in Afghanistan. Um, and Audie Murphy board, that's like a really big deal for enlisted soldiers for anybody that's viewing. Um, if you look it up, like less than 10%, less than, yeah, less than 10% of soldiers have one. Uh, it's, a, it's a great big medallion. I probably have it right in my uh, closet actually. But I did that, and then I, here I am making E6, and I'm about to PCS to Fort Lewis, and I know that I don't want to stay in the regular Army anymore. So I tried to complete a, a physical to go to uh, SFAS, or Special Forces Selection, and the PA wouldn't sign off on my physical because of the uh, quote-unquote uh, combat stress reaction with acute stress disorder that caused the stuttering and had nothing to do with 2,000 pounds of explosives being dropped 30 feet away from me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Not neurologic damage. It yeah. was psychological. Right. Yeah. Good um, God. Okay. So That's so frustrating. To, so I had to fight that, right? I had to go fight the brigade surgeon and, and all that. But uh, when I was going off on the PA, when I was going off on the PA of him not signing it off, He's like, he's like, I'll be right back. And he left. And then he came back and he's like, the battalion commander would like to see you. I was like, okay. So obviously he went to go talk to the BC while he was talking to me. And I get in there and like, hey, Sergeant Greenway, how you been doing? You know, we've been rooting for you. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And I just lost my shit, dude. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, you guys, you guys freaking have made me the black sheep. You guys have turned this into a complete cover-up. When I asked for the uh, copy of the official investigation, they told me that they burnt the only copy out at freaking Bob Tillman. Like, what the fuck is going on? And, dude, he was gone within a week. What position do you have to be in to just pick up the phone and be like, hey, some kid has some dirt. I need to leave. You know, because that's the impression that I got. You know, Uh, but anyways, I went in there, spoke my mind, um, you know, 
brought up IG and some other stuff. And then next thing you know, the dude was gone. Um, so, uh, but yeah, maybe he was just up for a reassignment. I don't know. Maybe he found out that he was on orders while he was deployed. But so ultimately they're all back by now. I'm talking to the PA. The PA goes and talks to the BC. The BC says, go get him. I come in there and he's like, hey, you know, like, yeah, if you ever need anything, yeah. you know, same type yeah. of fake <laughs> ass. Yeah. Same type of fake ass leader bullshit that I'm talking about, dude. And the problem is, so I've always been like this and, and I've even questioned myself how I've never received any sort of UCMJ for my mouth, for, you know, disrespect or for whatever. And I'm like, it's always cause it's cause. Cause they see what I'm doing and they see the, like, I'm, I'm right. You, you know what I mean? Nobody, nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to lose you. You know, nobody wanted and to it, lose it you. Could, it could be like, hey, maybe if we burn this kid, he's no longer going to be a good asset for us. You know, it could be, it could be many things. Maybe it was they knew I was right because uh, they, I'd pull up shit in the regs because people would just pick and choose what they wanted to follow, and and if it comes to a soldier getting burned or something, I speak up for it and I'm like, no, the regs say this, and then it's like oh we were gonna act like we didn't see that you know like no do the right fucking thing it's that simple you know like you're supposed to be a leader especially when it's an opportunity to take care of somebody like i could understand like kind of being like uh you know when it's like something where you know maybe regulations um you know lean the other way like yeah. doing the doing the wrong thing and like punishing somebody that <laughs> You know, you, you don't want to punish. Like I could understand that, but like trying to take adverse action or do something negative towards somebody that regulations say that you shouldn't. Yeah. It's like why why? Right. You know, like what what do you like anyway? Yeah, right. I'm 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 with you, man. Yeah. It's just something I was seeing, just very, very annoying. And I just uh ultimately, you know, uh I end up getting blessed off on the SF physical. I had already been to ranger school as a brand newly cocky, overly confident E5 and failed my ass off at land nav. <laughs> so, mm. so I was already, so I passed pre-ranger. Um, I passed the RTAC pre-ranger course, the one that's at Fort Benning. And then you go from there straight into base or straight into uh, ranger school. And a lot of units recommend it. I, if if I were any sort of leader out there listening, I was a ranger instructor. I'm telling you right now, send your soldier directly to ranger school. Like, might as well. The the people that are over there teaching at RTAC, they're not RITEP certified anyway. So it doesn't. They're not certified to be teaching the courses or to walk patrols or nothing. You're burning up extra energy, fat, whatever that the person could be using for ranger school. But anyways, I got to ranger school and now keep in mind the type of soldiers I described that the army let in around 2008, 2009, you know? So you're talking about like a lot of tatted up freaking people and just like uh, alpha male type mentality and just, uh, you know, just uh, some, some rough boys in some uniform, you know? Uh, and, and like, they would like dip in front of us and be like drinking in front. It, it was 
it completely shattered the image that I had painted in my head of what ranger school was. So I had always been putting it up on this pedestal because from, from the time I'm a private until the time I actually go to ranger school, there's this big emphasis placed on ranger school. So I, I put it up on a pedestal in my mind, right? Maybe that's what psyched me out at the beginning because after I left ranger school, after I failed it, I didn't ever want to go back. I was like, dude, that place is a shit show. And here I was, uh, what, three years later or whatever, um, I have my SF packet, uh, my physical signed. Before I even signed into my unit at Fort Lewis, I, was, I went to one of their theaters for the SF recruiting seminar that they get on. And I was talking to a, a recruiter there. And then uh, I ultimately sign into the unit, meet my first sergeant for the very first time. And he's looking at my ERB. And he says, when do you want, because he sees that I passed pre-ranger, he says, when do you want to go back to ranger school? And of course, trying to impress my new first sergeant, I was like, I'll go right now. And, and, then, uh, and then he's like, he's like, okay, get a physical done. You're going. I was like, I already have one. And then I'm thinking, why do I keep talking? You know, but <laughs> ultimately I go and I'll keep in mind, like rear D is lazy as shit. I'm just going to rear D don't do shit. Rear D don't work out. Rear D tries to go home as early as possible every day and come in as late as possible every day. That's just the nature of Rear D. People are out fighting, and then you have people on Rear D uh, shamming and doing whatever. Um, but so during this, man, where, where was I going to go with that? Um, oh, okay, so... So I ended up telling me, or he's like, he's like, go to, I don't know why I just brought up rear D. It'll come to me in a second, but I ended up, I ended up going and, uh, oh yeah, that's why. So that whole eight months, I wasn't working out. You know what I mean? I wasn't working out. Um... I, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing shit. I was going through TBI therapy and learning to talk and then shamming until everybody else gets back while simultaneously studying for the board and trying to recover. You know what I mean? And then, uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, no. I mean, yeah. You were recovering, man. You have a lot going on. Like so you, were, when, you know. So when he tells me to go to Ranger School, uh, so at Fort Lewis they do a pre-Ranger, uh, a pre-Ranger course that you have to pass, and it has higher standards than Ranger than Ranger School, and that's to uh, accommodate for the amount of push-ups and sit-ups or run time that you're going to lose because you're literally getting your balls smoked off from the time that you show up until the time you take the PT test. So they want to make sure that you have some extras in you to make up for that when you go there. So I, I passed that and then they're like, uh, they're like, okay, you're going to ranger school. Now Fort Lewis had one freaking, uh, one rule. You will go to RTAC. You will go to pre-ranger course, uh, before you go to ranger school. And I had already passed it, but I had passed it, what, three years earlier, two years earlier. So I told my first sergeant, thinking that it would be a way to not have to go to ranger school again. Like, I'll only go to ranger school if I don't have to do RTAC again. And they're like, okay. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. So I went to ranger school completely, like, out of shape, man. And I already had this opinion that I was just going to fail again. Um, 
and and I I went and I literally had no expectation of passing and I literally had every expectation of failing the next event and I ended up going straight through. <laughs> people spend That's like, crazy. People spend 9 months at ranger school, yeah. you know. Uh you know, most people only recycle one, maybe two phases, but very rarely anybody goes straight through. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not it's not a common thing. So I'm like, dude, I have no idea how I pulled that off. You know, and then of course after ranger school, you can't be a ranger without airborne. So I went to airborne school and uh yeah, it was just a so that that was me going to to ranger school and passing. I had a I had a bad impression of ranger school. Apparently over the, the couple years the they I will say that at least the army cleaned up um from like their visual appearance or i mean it, it kind of just turned into everybody's politicians or foot soldiers but there was a time where uh the people and the mentality that was like dressed in the uniform i guess and like the the actions that they were allowed to do during the time the army cleaned a lot of that up right so like uh no um excessive scuffing up a soldier right that's a good thing but the army also turned it into you can only make a soldier do five repetitions of an exercise and you're like why even make them do it at all then you know um yeah. and then you know people don't right um uh, well, what so so you got done you went back to your unit um but then for your next assignment you ended up being an ri how did that go uh so i ended up being an ri at a at Fort Benning at 4th Ranger Training Battalion at the Darby phase of Ranger School. Um, I actually liked it a lot, man. It was the it was the one time in the Army where I actually got to do my job to teach, coach, mentor, and lead without having some bullshit come up about having to go to the motor pool and get something done, having to make all my soldiers log on and do their 350-1 training or their vehicle inspection to go on leave or their leave forms or their whatever else. And it was completely uninterrupted quality time training soldiers. You know what I mean? Um, it was exhausting. Uh, at the time, I thought I was over it. I was there for three and a half years and I thought I was ready to leave. And then I ultimately left. I came to Fort Campbell. Coming to Fort Campbell was the worst mistake I've ever made in my life. I would highly recommend everybody do as much possible to stay away from Fort Campbell. I would actually recommend everybody to do as much as possible and never step foot in the military ever again until they can clean the shit up and go make a name for yourself and go do something. Um, but besides that, uh, don't work for somebody else, work for you. Don't be a leader for somebody else, be a leader for yourself. Um, but besides that, if you do come in the military, uh, <laughs> um, so I ended up going to Fort Campbell this place has been a shit show. I deployed to the border at Mexico or at the US-Mexico border, which I think it was unconstitutional as hell. And I think it was actually a, a testing phase for the amount of US operations that could have been done in the US because simultaneously while we were deployed to the border, this is when COVID lockdowns happened and they had to secure borders. Well, guess what? There's military already strategically there uh, and then we had all the riots 
and then the activation of all the national guards within every state it was absolutely a military exercise there's no doubt about it everything that we witnessed in 2020 if you really want to break it down was a military exercise um yeah we gotta we gotta talk more about that my experience on the army side is that they comp oh you're frozen hold on we, we gutted all of our medical providers like they sent they sent all of our medical providers uh, across the country to give COVID vaccines. And so like it shut down our ability to do training. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been very outspoken on COVID policy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think any of that should happen, but then, then it has an obvious effect on readiness where it's like, yeah. we haven't been doing training and then go to NTC to do an NTC rotation. And uh, like everybody's just pretending like it it didn't have an effect, and it's like it had a huge effect on. I'm so you're glad not, you weren't able to train. You know, I'm so, so glad I, you just said that, man. Because I I feel like uh, I feel like I pull up to people at the stoplight, and I look over at them, and everybody everybody's just going about their normal day life realizing that something is off or something is wrong or something is not right and they're just ignoring it and going through the motions anyways dude like oh better go to work today you know and i i understand that not everybody can just throw it all to the side but like i have a family i have two mortgages i have you know assets that i have to protect and i put it all online for what i believed in and the problem is you don't see that anymore, you know, um, because, and especially with the army, but I'm sure it applies to other jobs too. You think, you know, if I leave this job, it's gonna be hard for me to get another one and I'll go through the struggles. Well, guess what? Go through the struggle, go through the struggle. If you're in a bad environment, well, what's going through the struggle gonna add more to, you know what I mean? Like, why not just leave the environment that you're in and try to go to something better even if it means that you have to go through the struggle to, to get to it. But I, I see all these people just acting, like knowing that something is wrong and acting like there's not, and just going through the motions every day while, everybody, while we're literally just waiting for our world to fall apart. And I think 2020 uh, was, was the trigger or the signal. <laughs> yeah, and, and now the, it's not current there's not currently lockdowns and stuff i think a lot of people are eager to pretend like it never happened well, it'll, and uh, it'll be back yeah exactly and that's that's my that's my concern um but I, we that's like a whole nother topic well yeah yeah for sure, you know, for sure. like we we, we got to finish up we've been talking for yeah, a long yeah. time how long have we been um, talking I, I, I don't know i haven't been keeping track but when you so you mentioned like campbell's rough and 101st is rough and i know their op tempo is crazy and i know the culture is just like work 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 out there um but that was your last duty station and you were sergeant first class yep um you know in you know light light infantry yep. airborne air assault um, and so what was what were some of the leadership challenges that you faced in that last assignment what were some things that you felt like you were able to do to affect positive leadership and then some of the challenges um and then ultimately like just tell the story of how you ended up um as now prior services veteran yeah well first and foremost 
uh, all of my soldiers uh, made it a point to thank me. And I, I went out with a bang, kind of. Uh, so all my soldiers made it a point to thank me and let me know that I was the best platoon sergeant they've ever had and that I am not like any other sergeant first class that they've ever dealt with. Um, you want to know why? Because I was still a freaking human, as a human being, as a human being in a leadership role above other human beings with humanistic needs and not just a, a position in the army. And I think that's the problem is we're supposed to be robots, dude. And, and, and the, the, the crazy thing is, is when I was growing up through the ranks, it almost seemed like, yeah, they got mad at me sometimes and told me to quit my bitching, but it almost seemed like they loved the aggressiveness of calling out the bullshit and of, you know, sticking to integrity and holding people accountable. But as soon as I became in a senior leadership position, if I attempted to hold anybody above me accountable, it's, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, I don't personally think if a soldier came up to me and was like, hey, Sergeant, can I talk to you? Uh, I don't feel like you're looking out for me, blah, blah, blah. I, I'd be like, okay, dude, what can I do better? What can I do better for you to make you feel like, uh, you know, like I got your back? Because I do, you know, um, because I took that vow to, even if I don't fucking like you, even if I don't fucking like you, took the vow, or I took the, the, the NCO creed. You know, uh, I, will, I will know my soldiers in place of needs above my own. I will communicate consistently with my soldiers and never leave them uninformed. I will be fair and impartial when recommending both rewards and punishment. You know, that's what I said that I would do. Officers in my unit will have maximum time to accomplish their duties. They will not have to accomplish mine. I will earn their respect and confidence as well as that of my soldiers. I will be loyal to those with whom I serve, seniors, peers, and subordinates alike. I will exercise initiative by taking the appropriate action in the absence of orders. I will not compromise my integrity nor my moral courage. I will not forget, nor will I allow my comrades to forget that we are professionals, non-commissioned officers, leaders. And that's the problem, man. Everybody said it, but they didn't mean it. Nobody meant it. What are some examples? You said trying to hold people accountable. You got uh, um, everything was good until you tried to hold somebody uh, above yeah, you accountable. Do you have any uh, examples of that? So, you know, I, I understand everybody's hands are tied, or it seems like everybody's hands were tied when it came to the vaccine thing. Um, I said, no, nobody has to get it. That's illegal. That's not a real FDA approval letter. The Army can't technically make you do this. And everybody should say no. And if everybody should say no, or if everybody says no, everybody would be good because everybody should say no because it's all fake bullshit anyway. You know what I mean? And the problem is like, nobody did that. And what they were doing is they would put the battalion commander, the sergeant major, all the first sergeants sitting in a row of, uh, at a table, right? And then they would march every soldier in one at a time to stand in front of the long line of superior leaders while they get hounded and questioned and harassed about why they're not going to get the COVID vaccine. This is before the mandate. This is before, this was 
they were trying to get to 90% before the mandate even came out. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what do you yeah. think? Of, what do I you mean, think I, of- so like, I, 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 obviously I know a lot about this um, issue because it's like, it's been a huge issue for me too. Um, but they didn't do any of that stuff in the brigade that I was in. Um, like uh, it, before the, before the mandate rolled out, nothing was at like a high level like that. I mean, there were certain units, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but like the brigade as a whole, they, they didn't do that. Things we were didn't giving out, we were giving out incentives, dude, four day weekends and, uh, skipping a field training exercise and all sorts of crazy shit, dude, for somebody to get, uh, vaccinated before the mandate yeah when it was you know clearly i mean as you and i both know they're still under emergency use like a a fully licensed product hasn't been made available but even assuming you believe that one became available um at that time there there that that wasn't nobody was tracking that everybody knew that it was emergency use everybody should have known that it required informed consent Nobody was um, and you can't have it. informed consent when you incentivize it. But um, how how quickly did that happen after you arrived at Campbell? Uh, so I arrived at Campbell in 2019, um, June of 2019 or July of or sep- uh, September of 2019, and same thing. So you had so you had some time to you know establish yourself, the- establish your credibility as a leader you know, uh, um, I, being a part of the organization. No, not really. Uh, I didn't have an opportunity. To, uh, if anything, I, if anything, I just pissed a lot of people off at Fort Campbell um, because we, we were doing the Texas border mission and COVID was going on simultaneously. And I'm like, you know, asking a lot of hard hitting questions about, uh, you know, the, the spreadability of this and we're putting soldiers, two soldiers to a vehicle, but then these two soldiers go stay in a hotel with two different roommates and those two different roommates are going and doing a guard shift with two other different soldiers. I'm like, none of of the, none of the mitigation. Yeah. Yeah. None of the mitigation policies made sense. Yeah. So I, so you were calling that out. You were like, Hey, this doesn't make sense. And people were like, shut up. I was calling everything out, man. I was calling everything out. Didn't matter. I was calling the legality of the mission out. I didn't give a fuck, dude. I was pretty checked out at this point. Um, I'm not, not quite checked out yet. I'm still trying to like make a name for myself or whatever. Um, and I came there with high hopes and whatnot. And it was, dude, it was just, I couldn't control it, man. I couldn't control it. My urges to say some shit were just, biting at me man i'm like you guys are the most fucked up bunch i've ever seen in my life and i made sure they all knew it. hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can it. get hopefully we can get brad miller to come talk to us um because he was uh he was strikes uh beb commander um the battalion commander for the beb and strike and uh he didn't submit a religious accommodation like we submitted religious accommodations. He didn't submit that. He didn't submit a medical. He was just like, no, this isn't legal. And why? I'm not taking it. They moved him over to Division G5. 
and let him hang out while they were separating him. And they separated him maybe, um, maybe like six months ago now. And so he had 19 years and three months of service when they yeah. separated him. And he yeah, was just like, nope. Did they let him retire? No, no. So, so when that, when that shit first came out, all right. So, so the mandate came out, I said, uh, uh, religious vaccination, but when the mandate came out, uh, I think it was like November or November 25th or something like that. It came out in August or September, but people had so many days or whatever. But by like November, I remember because I was on Rear D, I was the Rear D NCIC, and all of a sudden I'm in charge of tracking down all these non vaccinated soldiers and letting them or giving them this counseling statement. I was like, I'm not doing that. You're asking the wrong fucking guy. I'm not even vaccinated. I'm like, I'm not going to go push that shit on anybody else. Right. So then I get my counseling. It's conducted over the phone. I'm like, they're, they're legitimately in NTC or JRTC counseling me over the phone on this counseling statement that's in front of my face. I'm like, this is the most unprofessional fucking nonsense I've ever seen. The counseling statement was a shit show. I ended up writing my own uh, blurb on there about how me signing this counseling statement is in no way me acknowledging to the terms of this counseling statement. And and by me signing this counseling statement, it's by me letting you guys know that I'm not doing this. uh, I just wrote it out, dude, in very, as legalized terms as I could possibly freaking think of. And that's what I gave back to the commander. And then I submitted a religious exemption and then everybody was up my ass for the next however long, right? Uh, um, I was med boarding and then they're like, well, you, we're not even going to med board you. The, the division commander is going to, you know, your, your med board packet and your separation packet are going to go up to the division commander and he's going to decide. I'm like, well, good luck having the division commander sign or decide when he doesn't have a fucking packet because I have a religious exemption pending. And they, dude, they couldn't understand the grasp of I'm untouchable right now because I have a religious exemption pending. And then it came into, I am med boarding and my, my leave date to separate from the army is before July 1st, 2022. And they're trying to, my religious exemption came back denied and they're telling me to submit a, uh, an appeal to the Secretary of the Army for Department of Manpower and Reserve Affairs or whatever. And I'm like, I don't have to do this. Like, I am in the exemption window, you know? And they still hounded me for it. They still made me turn it in. And they never even submitted it. So when I freaking got out, I submitted it myself. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make some people hear what I have to say, dude. And I sent my email to, to the three people there. Uh, th- did they ignore it? I don't know. Probably. Probably. But I bet they read it. I bet they read it and just didn't respond to it. Just like I reached out to my Sergeant Major because my commander told me I wasn't going to get an award for getting out. 13 years of service, they weren't going to give me an award because I was flagged for refusing the vaccine. But I'm like, I'm not flagged. I have a religious exemption. And therefore, you guys cannot not produce an award for me because you can't hold any adverse action against me. So let's play this game, dude, because I'm ready to go. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's yeah, what I they, was, dude. I was literally in my commander's office telling him all this shit. Like, let's do it. And it's like you're a very accomplished, you know, sergeant first class. Like, think about all the junior privates and you know, junior enlisted soldiers that like they didn't know all this stuff. So yeah. people they could lie to those soldiers and say, Oh, you're flagged. And it's like they weren't even flagged. Dude, I mean, there's a they... soldier in my in my unit where like they had this discriminatory mask policy. Yeah. And uh they got rid of it, you know, mm -hmm. because our our GA. Oh or, yeah, but if you were unvaccinated, you, know. you still had to No, 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 no. They but they got rid of that too. Oh, we and never so they're did. like, yeah, no, like yeah. Lately. So they, they got rid of that too because we have a, a you know great general officer out here that um that did that. And uh they, there was a unit where they were still making the unvaccinated soldiers wear masks, even though that's, that was the policy letter by our general on the installation. So that's how I. That's and how and they, they didn't know any better. That's how they were at uh, at Fort Campbell. So everybody, ninety percent of the formation is freaking not wearing masks, and I'm, dude. I was like, at, at first I was pissed about it, man. At first I was like so upset that they're doing this to me. And then I just started wearing my mask with pride, bro. Just like as a symbol to let everybody know that I didn't fucking fold and I didn't cave and I didn't listen to the bullshit and let them think that if I didn't get this, they were going to steal my whole life from me. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what they legitimately made people believe. They made people believe that if you don't get this, you cannot freaking participate in society. That's that's exactly what the mark of the beast sounds like, dude. You know, and people yeah. like went out and rushed and got it and had no idea what they were putting in them. Not none, none whatsoever. And people can say, oh, well, you know, you're, you've been in the military, you've taken all other vaccines. Yeah, which should go to prove that I'm not an anti-vaxxer. You know, I, I, do I trust any vaccines from this point on? Absolutely not. I will not get another vaccine. Uh, I don't plan on giving my kids another vaccine. They're, as soon as that COVID vaccine came out, they were already talking about using mRNA inside of flu vaccine. So I'm like, nope, I'm done, dude. I'm done. I ain't getting no other shots of nothing. I had to get an MRI uh, and they were putting like dye in me and shit, dude. And I watched that freaking IV drip like a hawk, bro. I wasn't going to let them put anything in. And I'm not saying that they would, but I'm not saying that they wouldn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's, there were some yeah, there's people a level there that were crazy about COVID. Like, like it was like the devil coming to get everybody. You know, I wouldn't put it past some germaphobe that's hooking up my IV line to just like, you know, like, ah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Like, we could, we could literally talk about, the COVID thing for for yeah. hours and hours on yeah. on its own, but we're we're suffice it to say we're on the same page. Yeah, and um, you know, for both of us, it was a line in the sand, and I do think it's related to leadership because it's like I think the the big moments where your leadership's been tested over the years, uh, you know, it's where you're, you're calling out the bullshit, and it's like that's not the right thing to do, and um. You know, so I, you, you just do that because you took an oath, like, well, you know, like to the Constitution, you took additionally, you know, the, the NCO creed, like you said, those words meant something to you. And 
they, they, they mean different things to different people, but yeah. the, uh, the idea that there was only one way to execute this, it's like, hey, it's an order. That's not even true, because as you as you noted, there is a religious accommodation process. And like you said, they couldn't flag you. Well, that was ongoing. And they couldn't even adhere to that. Like, why not just adhere to the process? Because I, I wrote a letter. And they didn't um, even take the religious exemption seriously. And my views yeah. were very serious, you know? Like, yeah. I wasn't saying yeah. it just to say it to not get the shot. Like, it was a very religious thing for me, you know? I'm like, yeah. I'm yeah. Like, in, in any case, that... in any case, it's not it's not up to your chain of command to determine your sincerity. That's just the chap that's the chaplain interview. So it's like for an organization that's supposedly all about regulations, right? It's yep. like as soon as they don't align with this political agenda um, and what what the boss wants, quote unquote, right? It's like, well, we gotta we execute. Like, well, that's not what the regulation says. Well, that's yeah. not, that doesn't matter. Um, but to to finish this out, like you're living the civilian life, you got, you know, separated via medical evaluation board. Yeah. Um, with some, some very well-earned uh, disability. Yeah. You know, because of all the, all the stuff that you went through, not only in terms of getting um, a bomb dropped on you at Danger Close, but uh also just all the wear and tear from um being a freaking infantryman yeah you know yeah. like do people don't escape that without significant orthopedic injuries for the most part i mean there's yeah. rare exceptions but um now that that you're in that situation you got a couple daughters um yeah. still happily married um what's what's on the agenda now for you like how do you feel like you're applying these leadership skills that you've learned and develop that you know you initially had that innate uh ability yeah. you know i'm sure the army had to even in spite of all the bullshit like i know the army the adversity all the bullshit probably even honed those innate skills to an even yeah. further degree so it's like what are you how are you planning on using those going forward um so Real quick, just to just to touch on both the the bomb dropping and the the vaccine mandate. The the biggest thing for me is that I was always, you know, fighting and looking out for soldiers and doing what what our creeds and our oaths told us to do. But now I'm in a position where I need a leader to look out for me, and there was none. You know what I mean? And for the second time in my career, I felt all alone like I didn't have any leadership and that's a, the dark and lonely place to be, you know what I mean? It's not. So what am I doing with my leadership now? Um, nothing really. I, I go to school. Uh, I'm mostly online. I don't think I probably belong in any, uh, college campus environment. Uh, so I try to stay home. I, my home is my sanctuary. Um, I try to set a good example for my family. Um, it doesn't always work out good. You know, you got kids that don't want to listen and know better, and you got parents that are always nagging at the kids, and there's always going to be a conflict or whatever. Um, but I'm just trying to set a good example, uh, show my daughters the like what a man should be. You know, like when I, you know, like when you get married someday, this is, you know 
the man that you should desire to be with. Um, if it is a man, I don't know. I hope so, but hey, it's 2020. Um, but uh, so I just try to set a, a good a good example, and then really, man, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about this, man. I think we can, you know, we can change. We can talk about some things that are gonna, you know, really motivate some people, really change some perspectives, really drive that that attitude, that leadership attitude, really ingrain those leadership disciplines and uh yeah man it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be awesome yeah i'm excited too like on on that note it's like i it almost didn't occur to me when i was asking it but you know this is something that that we're doing it's uh the kind of like the meta objective of this yeah. it's like we're talking about leadership but also just being here like in from from the fifth generation warfare perspective you know where um, you know, I, I don't want to go too much into it, but the way that I, everybody's going to conceive of it differently, but I, I think really there's a spiritual conflict. Dude, there where is, there's man. a desire to consolidate power yep. into a, a, a very small package that can be captured and manipulated by people that I think are criminals. Yeah. And the, the resistance to that is wanting to decentralize power to uh preclude that from being a possibility because there's right. always going to be evil people and they're they're drawn to power and uh americanism in this country is founded on the ideas of federalism and individualism and those ideas like that's i think you know political populism which is the idea that power should be distributed i think that idea is what's compatible with america and american yeah. ideology and and this idea that we have to have a international rules-based order and yeah. international institutions that are more important than you know our our federal government and you know our state governments like it's like not even it's not enough that our federal government's so incredibly powerful and that state governments are an afterthought it's like now our federal government needs to yeah operate in this globalist american empire that yeah that's really it's transnational where you know it's like it's not america it's all of the west yeah. is like we have to follow the same rules and it's like no people are different cultures are different yeah and if you force everybody to be the same um and you consolidate power at this highest possible level then you're gonna end up uh infringing upon people's individual liberties yeah, uh, for sure. trying to force a bunch of different shaped pegs into the same shaped hole and right. um i like there is a information war like fifth generation warfare yeah, going on is, in order man. to in order to advance that idea yeah where it's like gotta centralize yep and the we're, internet we're on the now. we're yeah and we're on the opposing side yeah we're on the side that's trying to get information keep, get, yeah, yeah yeah get information get the get the true information try and prevent that centralization so that yep. people can remain free in accordance with you know what's outlined by the constitution and stuff yeah. so that's like when when i was advancing that idea for the name of like you know fifth generation leadership fifth generation warfare that's what i was thinking and i think that yeah like uh, i couldn't be more excited to be doing it with you um i, I think we're going to get to have a lot of really great conversations and i do think that we are providing leadership but uh, aside from that like you're in school what plans do you have for after school what are you trying to like do you have any ideas for any specific career fields that you want to get into 
Yeah, so uh, I've been trading now for four years, uh, stocks and options. So I'm going to school for finance. Um, I've always been driven by finance, even from the time I was like a little kid, hustling at like flea markets. And my aunt used to buy these like yo-yo balls stuff and we would sell stuff at flea markets. And I had a paper route at 13 and I was mowing people's lawns. And I've just always been uh, attracted to, you know, trying to acquire money. Um, oddly enough, though, uh, my mentality towards money changed in 2020 as well, but it's still a career that I would like to go into. I just don't hold the same emphasis on money anymore, oddly enough. Uh, like I had a kind of like what you were saying with a, a spiritual conflict. I, I definitely think that there's an element of being a leader or leadership that needs to be in touch with some sort of spiritual side in order to, uh, you know, really like grow as a leader and like see in, you know, money is one of those things that's the root of all evil. And it's the shit that it's the tool that the people are using at the top to control us. Um, I think that's more why I'm getting into finance. So I can kind of uh, see how it all works and see how I can help people become financially independent in the future. Um, I'm trying to learn how to code uh, right now. And my, my goal is to use my finance knowledge with my coding knowledge and hopefully do something to change the world, man. I have one, I have one huge, huge, huge plan right now that would completely change the world. And I know I would never be able to pull it off. I, I've been, if you go onto Elon Musk's Twitter and if you look at, if you look up Rodney Greenway, I have been, Pounding him every day for a private conversation for this world-changing idea. And I know everybody thinks that their idea is world-changing. I'm telling you right now, my idea would change the world. And hopefully between my finance and my coding, if somebody hasn't gotten it to before me, hopefully I can do something with that. But I mean, it's big. I doubt I would ever be able to do that. But yeah, I'm just trying to help people break free, man. That's all I want. I just want to help people break free. I know that sounds very hippie-ish, but dude, we are all trapped, well, the, man. The, the first thing that came to my mind wasn't hippie-ish, it was the Matrix. It, it, we're but, all freaking yeah. trapped, dude. Yeah. Yeah, so. But, um, no, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Because, yeah, the, the the finance thing, it's, I mean, it's a part of power. If you don't, if you don't have enough money to take care of yourself and take care of your family, you, you're, it's very easy for people to control you. Right. It, it is so complicated because of the Federal Reserve and the fact that we don't have sound money. I think if we had sound money, it'd be a lot more straightforward. But since yeah. we don't, it's it's very complicated and very confusing, very stressful uh, trying to uh, invest and survive. Where Whereas, you know, if we had sound money, you could just save money. And, yeah. You know, then it would be saved. But now it's like saving fiat money is like you're losing money. Yeah. You know with the double digit inflation and stuff, but, um, mine safe money. Yeah, we, yeah. We'll, we'll be able to, we'll be able to, uh, probably if we can't get other guests on focus on some of those topics going forward, like picking an advance yeah, yeah. And talk, like try and get into finance, try and get into, um, some of these other topics. Um, but other than that, like, I, yeah, I think we want to try and just talk to other folks and yeah, um, hey, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that's something we should do. Uh, create a, a, a 5GW uh, email that people viewing, uh, veterans, 
people in yeah. leadership positions can reach out to and and say, hey, I'd like to come on for an interview. Uh, if yeah. that if that works for you, um, eventually it's going to come hard become hard for us to think of people to bring on. So definitely any input from the viewing audience, I think, would be great. Uh, somebody that we don't know, somebody that might be completely against our biases, you know, and maybe come on and just, you know, teach us about leadership, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, and I've been, I mean, I've been, learn, yeah, like yeah. Bruce Lee, you can learn from anybody, you right? Take what's useful. Absolutely. So, uh, all right. So, if anybody wants to come on for an interview sometime with me and Grant, and you know, come talk about leadership with us, go ahead and shoot us an email at Five uh, Gen Leadership uh, at Gmail dot com, and then we'll uh, work some stuff to get you get everybody on here. But uh, other than that, um, Grant, yeah, you guys. We'll no, it. yeah, we'll just try and do this once a week. And um, yeah, th thanks for letting me interview you, Rodney. And uh, next week or you know, next yeah, time we get together, thing. you can interview me and you get to ask me about uh, you know my You're background, right. and then we'll try and yeah, try and keep going. It's gonna be a good time, man. But uh, oh yeah. All right. Well, I guess we're signing off. Uh, goodbye, everybody. I'll we'll see you next week.